Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education, those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. What does it mean to be a human in a global age of technology? What happens if we educate for the heart first and foremost? What happens if we focus on the heart moment? That capacity to blend curiosity, compassion, courage, and conviction, the character of game-changing leadership. What happens if we talk to Yvette Larson, who's got all of this and more in her background? She's an international Swede born above the Arctic Circle in Swedish Lapland by Sami Ancestry. She's had over 20 years of international experience. She's a polyglot, a nature lover. She's a mum. She's an educator. She's a lead in Sweden for Learn Life, the global hub for innovators in education. She loves thinking about the way in which we put problem-based learning into education. She's a great person for us to be talking to about the permission to transform through balancing local, regional and global perspectives as responsible citizens. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 12 sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course. We are proud to be partnered with the education team of the Museum of Australian Democracy at Old Parliament House in Canberra. Australia's capital city. Looking for civics and citizenship experiences and resources to empower voice and agency in your Australian classroom? The MOAD Learning Team have got you covered with on-site and online experiences for teachers and young people of all ages. Visit MOAD Learning at m-o-a-d-o-p-h dot gov dot au forward slash learning. That's m-o-a-d-o-p-h dot gov dot au forward slash learning. Bill, it is so wonderful to be with you here at on Game Changes in Series 12, where we, of course... Series are ex- 12? Series 12, Phil, I know, I can't believe it, uh, where, of course, we're exploring, educating for voice, agency and, and, and advocacy. But before I get to that, Phil, uh, how is the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you today? Look, it's a little soggy, Adriano. It's a little Melbourne-like. It's supposed to be spring and outside. It's about 13 degrees and very, very wet. Bravo, the wonder dog is inside and sulking at the moment because he'd prefer to be at the front, Kate. But unfortunately, Adriano, Fitzroy, the People's Democratic Republic, it's brought your filthy, filthy weather, and I'm not happy. Well, well, enough of this nonsense. Yvette doesn't need to hear this craziness that comes out of the the green belt of Fitzroy. Actually, you know, Phil, the other day I heard there's a new skill. It's a gr- it's called green skills. Have you heard this? This is the latest thing. Green yeah, skills. Go on. Anyway, go on. I'm sure we're going to touch touch upon that with Yvette because you know Yvette Yvette feels from a place where they just have mung beans, lentils, and tofu. Anyway, enough <laughs> of this. Well, let's get let's get to our wonderful guests uh, all the way coming to us from Sweden. We're so so excited that you're on our show. We're so excited that that. Northern Europe is tuning in, uh, and I'm sure the rest of the world will uh, also be tuning into this particular conversation. Yvette, I'm going to ask you the very first question we ask all of our guests, and that is, tell us about your story and how you've gotten to where you are today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adriano. Thank you so much, Phil. That was I was just laughing here. You two are, <laughs> you two are amazing. So I'm, um, first of all, very happy to be here, and uh, I can't wait to have this conversation, um, yeah, directly from uh, the other side of the world. But I was just thinking how wonderful it is that we can actually have this conversation, me in Sweden and you guys in Australia, and sharing so many things, so many um, missions here. So, so yeah, um, as uh, Phil was saying in the introduction, I was born in the very north of Sweden, about the Arctic, and I think that had the 
biggest impact in, uh, on who I became later in life because all of us, I mean, we are a blend of the, the situations where we were, where we were born, our families, the people we met. But I think growing up um, above the Arctic Circle, growing up uh, in this UNESCO protected area that Lapland is, I had a lot of freedom, a lot of autonomy. I had a mom and dad who says, said, come home before we start to look for you. <laughs> so I had a lot of freedom and um, basically a lot of uh, time in nature. So I think the creativity definitely come from there. The capability and the, the open-mindedness to make mistakes, to try out things, it definitely come from there. The sense of community as well, because uh, it's a closely knitted uh, community. And, and also the sense of appreciation for, for nature, because I do believe that um, a child who spends a lot of time uh, will not harm nature. So those are th some things that I'm very deeply um, appreciative of growing up there. And saying all this um, as a teenager, maybe I didn't find it so fun to live there. I more thought it was like living at the end of the world, like uh, going like to sun Like sunshine in Melbourne. Fifteen minutes from one of the best cities in Australia. Anyway, but go on. So, so I think that also pulled me uh, away from there. Like I had this big dream to see the world, learn languages, uh, understand people from different cultures, design, all those kinds of things. And I had this phrase in my head when I was walking, plowing through the snow. I had this phrase thinking like, uh, one day I'm going to live on a tropical island where they dance salsa. So that is sort right. of the pull that uh, pulled me out and uh, that also took me uh, to different countries and it took me to a tropical island actually so that was uh, the reunion island in the Indian Ocean but that also um, uh, so that pulls me out I lived abroad for 14 years and, and that was a dream I had to learn languages to meet people from different walks of life and you know Europe is so packed with culture and languages so so that has also definitely uh, made me who I am. And I think my mom, being a very growth-minded type of person, also, also uh, shaped my thinking. Yvette, mm -hmm. you mentioned in there a, a whole bunch of things in your background. There's something in particular which I, I sort of want to interrupt our normal flow just to ask about. Um, you, you talk about spending time in nature. And in particular, you talk about the notion of being able to try mis uh, mistakes and gaining a sense of community. What else is there of benefit educationally for children to spend time in nature? And the reason why I ask this is that all over the world, there is this assumption that outdoor or outdoor-influenced education is inherently good for children, but it's light on reasons why people think it's a good thing. We kind of feel it. But, but what are the reasons why time in nature is good for children in their education? This is a very good question. And, you know, because I've been doing outdoor education for, I think, uh, nearly five years. And um, um, my colleague and I, Nana Spetz from AHA, we were sort of pioneers in our school. And when people were asking me, and here comes the key question, they were asking us, why are you going uh, out so much? Why are you doing so much outdoor education? And do you know what we ask then? Why are we indoors so much? What, what is it? <laughs> Human-made system. We made this system. We have actually decided, humans have made systems that decided we are going to go into this school building. It's going to be a, a square room and the teacher is going to stand there and the desks are going to uh, stand in line. So we were... We were saying that uh, if we look at human history, uh, we have wandered this uh, amazing planet for millions of years. History teachers can be more exact. But, but then, um, for example, in Sweden, um, um, school as we know it started in 1842. That is a very, very, very tiny little time in human history. So the question first is, why are we so much indoors? Why aren't we outside more? And um, so the benefits uh, are plenty. Um, uh, first of all, it's very healthy for us. Uh, just as uh, uh, what you were connecting to, we feel good. And that is our human well-being. We feel good. We feel calm. Uh, for example, our eyes, we're spending so much time in front of screens. The eyes need to look at natural surroundings. It's also scientifically proven if we 
meet science. Uh, uh, that's spending time in a forest, in a greenery, uh, with an oxygen-rich environment helps us to get more oxygen in the brain. Spending time in blue areas next to, to seaside, swimming in the sea, all those kinds of things are just natural things that we know inside us. But now we are also in a very scientific-based uh, and a very rational world, at least the Western world. And, and don't get me wrong, I love the science. I am a science journalist as well. But sometimes we also get too rational. We want to we wanna, um, uh, wanna have proof, scientific proof for everything, which is good. But we also know, as per se, that it's good to go out. It's good for our mind, for our body, for our spiritual being. It's good for our heart, for our muscles. Look at collaboration, creativity, communication. Everything goes up when we, when we spend time uh, outside. I'm glad Phil asked that particular question. And thank you for sharing your perspective about the value of this outdoor experience and, and us living, particularly in our schools, as if we're not separate from the environment, that we're intrinsically part of it uh, and that we're responding to it beautifully. I want to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of things here, about what's motivated you to eventually be the co-founder of AHA Accelerating Education. I want to talk about that in a moment. I want to, and I want to talk about you know, this, this, this science-based kind of platform uh, uh, as well in a moment. But many of our listeners uh, across the globe continue to be uh, enamoured and inspired and in awe of our Scandinavian brothers and sisters and the way in which they have chosen to approach living and schooling. And I probably want to throw in Estonia in all of that as well, okay, uh, because we continue to, to hear so much coming out of Finland and Estonia and Sweden and Norway and, and even Iceland about your education system. But we hear, more, we hear lots also about society in general. Now, my esteemed colleague, Phil, his limited knowledge of Sweden is rock set. Uh, Eurovision and 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 ABBA. So we need to enlighten him and everyone else listening to this show today uh, more about you idiot. What, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> what what it is? What is it? What is it that is this magic elixir in the water there in Scandinavia? Scandinavia that continues to place Scandinavian nations on the top of happiness indexes, on the top of well-being indexes, on the top of schooling and learning indexes if, we, if we're going to use lead tables. What is this elixir that's going on uh, that consistently places uh, your country and the countries bordering you uh, in such high regard? Yeah, that's a very good question. And um, I will take them bit by bit. And also sort of uh, because Scandinavia and the Baltic states are usually put all together, but uh, I will sort of um, um, try to explain a little bit more. But I think there are two things going on here. In Scandinavia as a whole, traditionally, as I grew up, there is one value that is highly um yeah, looked upon as something deeply rooted in, I think, most Scandinavian, and that is trust. So first of all, there is a high level of trust. Traditionally, we used to, I'm, I'm saying used to in the past tense, I will get there. Uh, we used to uh, trust institutions, politicians, we used to trust um, uh, people in general. So that is a fundament. And if we look at applied neuroscience as well, like uh, if we look at trust as a fundament of, of uh, almost all human relationships, then that is, a, uh, that is super important. So trust is also something that for example we saw when it was COVID and Sweden didn't close down like the prime minister said that he trusted the mature the, the, the inhabitants to make the good choices and I think that was quite grand we can say if it was the right one or not but if we have leaders who actually um, um, uh, talk about trust so much want to create trust then it's a, that's a fundament so that is the first thing the other thing we were talking about well-being that is also that we are so crazy about being outside it's like a big value and we we are so few of us up here but but, but we have like sweden is a outstretched country not in australian measures of course but in uh, european yes. measures 
But so, so we have a vast uh, nature around us, mountains, lakes, and we are so crazy to go out and we are so like um, um, not accepting, um, like for, for example, a Friday at four o'clock, everybody's gone. And of course it's different now, but, but it's this, this sense of going outside is so deeply rooted. Like, like there is a saying, like there is no bad weather, only bad clothes. And that says it all. So wow. it's the trust and it's the, 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 really the drive to go outside and, and sort of, um, spend time in nature and I think those two things are and also this thing about um the Danes have um have now uh, posted the word hygge which is coziness we like to be cozy we want to come home light candles when it's dark outside and so I think it it plays a big part so so the trust is is, is a deeply rooted and the same thing with just going out and uh, explore nature and be in nature yeah, it's, it's really fascinating goal. listening to what you're sharing with our listeners, Yvette. Many of our game changer guests who are principals of schools believe to shift culture, trust, and the speed of trust through the building of, of strengthening of relationships is the most crucial fundamental thing to getting things right within their school settings, within society, period. Yes. What's also interesting in what you're sharing, and even your story about your upbringing, what was interesting was that I get this sense that Yvette Larson is inherently deeply curious, curious about life and living, leading work, curious about language, curious about culture, curious about people, curious about art, curious about the outdoors. When was that first moment, whether it was through your formative years or even in your professional life, where you came to the realisation that you've got this deep consciousness about curiosity? I, I think I can actually put a sort of vague uh, year. I think it was when I was a teenager and living up there in Yelivare above the Arctic Circle, feeling very isolated. And back in the days, we had pen pals. So I basically had pen pals from um, all, all continents, like maybe not Greenland, but but I had pen pals from, from all over the world. And I was so, I was so hungry for knowledge about the world uh, that we lived in. And I also felt so um, like uh, I was almost um, like, uh, I, I was also frustrated and bored because I lived where I lived. And it was like, we spent three hours in a car to go buy clothes. <laughs> and uh, there were no uh, roundabouts in my town, no traffic lights and those kinds of things and no shopping malls. I felt really bored. I thought, what is this life for a teenager? And so I think that the pen poles back in the days uh, opened the horizon for me and to to just see what is um, what, what the world is out there and uh, and curiosity is really uh, one of the traits that I have like uh, curious for people but curious also for solutions because that this creativity doesn't always uh, only come traditionally we think about creativity is the art and the design I love that but creativity is also the fundament for innovation so um, so if we look at the the, the, the flow chart of creativity if if you work with your creativity becoming innovative innovative has the power to change the world in different ways and this creativity uh, if you look at that then I think that the creativity also at the end of the line is problem solving so you can so, so you can find solutions. By, and that's why I also think that creativity is such an important thing in schools, like to, to enhance the creativity and to continue to be creative. So we don't lose that, uh, that drive inside us well, as we grow up or as we uh, students uh, get into upper secondary school and it becomes so theoretical. But creativity should be there. It's, 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 a, it's a fundamental of, of a problem solving as well. We, we'll, so we'll, get that, to, we'll get to some questions around the necessary skills that we probably have a congruency around in, in a moment. It's interesting you, you, you shared that, that about the pen pal scenario. I actually, when I was growing up, I had a pen pal who was in Sweden, and her name oh. was and her name was Katja. Now, yeah. now, now, I, and I, but what I can't remember is when it stopped. I think maybe Katja must have must have found a beautiful Viking there in in Sweden <laughs> named Lars and ran off to Lapland and, and happily ever married. Now, you know, but um, but you know, I remember I remember that being a really interesting experience as well because we, yeah. we although although um, we both come from pretty uh, strong social democracies, uh, mm-hmm. obviously our context, our environment is very different. Uh, you know, and and so learning so much about 
your wonderful country from Katya uh, and her f- about Australia from myself, probably one of the first times I, I discovered the other in a really uh, deep and meaningful way. So thank you very mm-hmm. much for sharing that. My next question to you is one around influence because you, you touched upon the influence of your parents' upbringing, you know, and, and their, their trust in you to, you know, to come home every day. Um, but, but even more than that, you know, even more than that. Uh, and, and so no doubt they, had a, they played an important role. You're the co-founder of the AHA Accelerating Education, you know, a, a science-based platform that seeks to boost human potential with the help of applied neuroscience. This is important work in, in challenging and influencing mindsets uh, across education, particularly in your home country of Sweden. I'm interested in, apart from your, your family, who has influenced you in your learning journey and why? Wow, that is a, that is a big question. Uh, and I think it has multiple answers. I think um, I would like to say something else than who uh, is what. It's, oh. it's life itself, actually. I think that I think that a human being constitutes of all the meetings with all people, everyone you meet and all the situations that you are in shapes you, shapes, shape me. And so um, you learn and you see, oh, these are people that are my tribe. I like them. We are, we are thinking alike, or these are behaviors that I don't like. So I think that the journey, the, 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 the living abroad has shaped me a lot because I, started to see things from different perspectives. Um, So the traveling and the living abroad, but also working in an international school. I worked in an international school for nearly 10 years. And that has also shaped me because um, when you're sitting and having lunch with people from across the globe and you're talking about one thing, a concept or something, and you get different perspectives, you, you really shape your mind. And you also realize that there are some fundaments that are all true for all human beings. We all need love. We all need roof over our heads. We all want to be appreciated and loved for who we are. And so I think these are the meetings. I can't say like one person. It has different, different. From, and I am also this type of person, for example, when we speak about uh, school, I'm thinking about Leonardo da Vinci. He was both an artist and a scientist. Wow, what a steam yeah. person he is, for mm-hmm. example. And there are other things that, uh, for example, reading Homo sapiens and thinking about uh, human structures, thinking about everything is just a human structure. That gives me a lot of freedom. Um, For example, if we think about school, school is just a human structure. If it's a human structure that we made, we can also change it. Um, Thinking about space, I think space is something that inspired me since, since growing up in the North because I was looking at the stars and wondering about the universe. But if I if I look at pictures of of Earth uh, taking from from space, then I'm thinking like, wow, how small we are. If I'm Mm. scared or if I feel hesitant to to do something courageous, then I'm thinking about that picture. I'm thinking like, wow, uh, in that perspective, what 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 am I? What why am I hesitating? You know, so uh, all those things uh, encourage me, and 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 this uh, courage is so needed also when you want to change something, if you want to change the system. Like uh, we are in the brink of an exciting times and a very challenging times as well. So I would say that I think situations change. It, it, it can be also conversations. Conversations inspire me as well. But I can't put my finger more than Leonardo da Vinci came there up. There you go. Wow. Um, a lot of people are influenced by great Italians, Yvette. So we'll just leave it at that. I know. Stop encouraging him, Yvette. Stop encouraging him. As you were answering and exploring that whole gamut of influences and inspirations uh, on you, you touched on that notion of there being things that are fundamental to all human beings. And something that I think is absolutely essential is that human beings to flourish need to feel free. They need to feel a sense of liberty. Um, uh, One of our uh, uh, former Game Changers uh, guests, uh, Santiago Rincon Gallardo, would say that education is an act of liberation. And you've already 
referred to that 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 important sense of freedom and my esteemed colleague the um the art teacher who's uh chatting to you with me today would talk about the importance of the word permission in particular that the power of the word permission is the granting of oneself the formal consent to do something it's about giving yourself a sense of freedom of liberty it's the necessary yes towards a real movement and purposeful action and self-actualization can you pinpoint for us a time in your career where you didn't wait for permission and you simply just went ahead and did something. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I, I think that um, I, I'm a type of person who rather say I'm sorry than ask for permission. So um, I think that uh, I, I think that is how I was throughout my whole life, even when I was a kid in school. And there are two, two things, two, two different uh, ex- examples that I'm thinking of. One is, for example, when I just took off and set my sail to the Reunion Island. That was my dream, going to the Indian Ocean. People were asking me, so where is that, the Reunion Island? What are you going to do that? Just fulfill my dream of this tropical island. So that was, I think, the biggest step. That was the biggest leap because after that, that is my reference point, my trust in my intuition. So that is the, the biggest one. That is like 22 years ago now. But I would like to pull in the world of school as well and the world of learning. So, for example, if we, as you say, where you talk about autonomy, freedom, Phil, for example, what happened when we give students when we trust them first of all and we give them the freedom to explore that is where the most magical things happen for example i would like to give an example we did a winter fair last year uh, with a class i had and and trusting 10 years old when they are a little bit messy it's sort of the moment when the teacher needs to breathe in and out like inhale exhale but to let go of that control and and just trust them give them tools and um, see what happens when they can freely create what they want to do. Uh, That is also a moment when I had other teachers coming in and asking, oh dear, it's very messy here. And oh dear, are they cleaning up those very tiny little things like I'm not even thinking about? And I said, yeah, they will clean up afterward. Those kinds of small things, but that is also... Um, letting go of control is very important when it comes to freedom. Of course, not. you, you need to give them some tools to, to work with. And the sure. tools are creativity, collaboration, communication. Um, like the, ro- the roof is high, the ceiling is high. You can explore if you make a mistake. But then you also, the, 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 the educator in the room needs to model that to sort of, if I make a mistake, I also need to say, oh, well, that happened. So l- what can I do next? And ask them and to include them and, and look at the, the, the students as they are, they, are, um, they are human beings as us. They also want the yes. freedom. They also want to, con- to, to be creative as, as we want. Um, yes, and I, so- I, I, love the, I love the way in which you're talking about the way in which school structures and environments and practices can encourage and foster student voice yes. and agency and just the simple things that can be done. Because yes. I think as, as teachers, as chalkies, we can overcomplicate this and, and, and we can worry about all sorts of things. Um, but if we, if we imbue all of our environment with a sense of trust, then there's a chance for a student to do those things. And I love the way in which you've sort of moved from, from freedom to liberation, to innovation and creativity. And, of course, you'd be interested in learning that prompts innovation. I, I know, too, that, you know, with, uh, you know, you've done some work involving a, a global hackathon for, for a youth methodology for, for design thinking at Star, where, where, where young people have a say on what education is. Let's take this one step further. What does empowerment for each and every child look like in practice? How would we recognise a school where empowerment of children is the norm? I think that uh, that school is a school where you see student agency, um, like uh, you would see uh, projects going on. Uh, Some students are in school. Some students are out in the local community. Some students are talking to an expert, maybe in another country, uh, when we are thinking about a classroom without walls, uh, because uh, where, we, where we combine an analog life with a digital life, where we can have access to the best in the world, because why not? 
um, that would be um, the, the, a school uh, where we see that students are flourishing and uh, they are the ones also who are part of, uh, of creating, being the driver, not the, the, uh, the, the passenger in a way. So I like that metaphor of, of driving your learning. And, and of course, uh, you need guidance, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, but, but we teachers, we're not very good at letting students be the drivers, are we? Because yes. so many of us, so many of us oh, in the profession want to drive everything, want to control everything, want to specify mm -hmm. everything, um, mm -hmm. and 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 we don't trust children to go and be messy and to mm -hmm. learn the things they need to learn. Um, because mm -hmm. ultimately, the only way you learn anything is, is through trial and error. You've got to fail temporarily before you can succeed in the long run. Um, mm -hmm. How can we help teachers to liberate themselves? so that they can help their children to be liberated, to be free to, to go on this journey of self-determination and self-discovery? I think this is a very, very important question and something that I feel in my bones because I'm, I'm like, um, I have a one foot in innovation, which is very, <clears throat> can be very theoretical. It's a, like ideation, thinking about what the best school could be. But then I am also a practitioner. I, I work in school. So I really, I can feel it in my bones when you're asking this question because it's a challenge. And I think that the, the first word you said, trust, how to give trust, that was the common word that all teams in our Future of Education hackathon said. They want uh, adults to trust them. That was the key message from all the teams. Please trust us. Please have us in the discourse. Please let us co-design. So I think that if if um, if um, if a teacher, if an educator, just have that one right, then it's a good starting point. But as I see it, also the challenges are, for example, we have um, a school le school leaders have legislation that they have to follow. Teachers have curriculums that they have to follow. And so, for example, I had, the, uh, I had a, a conversation with my principal the other week when I was saying that, uh, uh, why can't we just uh, go hybrid? Why can't we just create a hub where students and teachers can be in school maybe three days or let's be a little bit more agile. And then she was saying to me that in Sweden, we have the, a law, we have a law that us teachers need to supervise the students. They have to be there. We, have, we don't have a law that they just have to be educated. That is two different things. And so then I was thinking about Rosa Park and the bus. And I was thinking, are those things necessary? Like, do we have to sit down like Rosa Park and protest? Or are there other ways to create that change? And that change will maybe take longer time. So I think these are the things, like you may have a principle that will be super happy to do that but there is legislation and then you have to follow that so so it's this um yeah it's a very tricky one and the same thing with with teachers i think that if a, if a teacher think about going into a classroom and thinking like i'm the i'm, I'm an agent of change I, I can change the future with the work i do every day and um I think it's about a, a personal journey that you have to make yourself as a teacher, like uh, letting go and see what happened when you let go. And start with small steps. Say that um, during one lesson <laughs> per week, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And I think with small steps, like, because I'm in innovation and startup as well, you always do a pilot with your things. You start small and then you evaluate and you see, uh, are we going to scale it up or are we going to bin it? Teachers should... It would be beneficial if they think more like an entrepreneur. As you're talking there, so much of what you're talking about is about the contemporary skill set for school leadership. And we know that strong school leadership is absolutely critical for shaping productive learning environments, for supporting excellence in teaching, influencing student outcomes. How can school leaders build this sort of mindset and craft these dispositions or encourage the development of these dispositions in themselves and build the toolkit that is necessary to unlock the door for teachers to create the learning that's, that's going to give our kids the outcomes they really need to thrive in the world? 
I think um, the, the, I am seeing a theme here in this conversation, actually. I'm seeing a theme of uh, going back to trust, going back to autonomy and, and giving the space to teach you to say that in this school, the ceiling is high. You can try, give it a go, because teachers are so loyal, so dedicated, so fixated with a with with a curriculum, and uh, I think that the school leader really needs to encourage people to be creative, to be courageous, to be innovative, to try new things, and especially in the times that we live in, we are living in this uh, tipping point of what is it that we are going to do, and also uh, uh, trust teachers more, give them more ability, give them more um, um, possibility to shape their, their 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 working, because look, I think it's the same problem. In, in Australia, in Sweden, we are lacking 22,500 teachers and, and young people don't want to become teachers anymore. So uh, I think that we are now in a context of huge change. And I think the schools with the leadership that are really picking up what is going on in the society, they are the ones that are going to build a strong schools. Yeah. You can't live in 2020 anymore. That, that is the, 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 the Yvette, message. Yvette, do you have a spare room at your house? Because with that amount of vacancies, I'm going to come over for a look for a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. what's really interesting in what you're sharing with, our, with us here today and, and, of course, our listeners is you're, you're advocating very passionately about leaders in schools being open to the human possibility of their adults and trusting within those adults and giving them the space and time to ideate as well as as well as being uh, uh, responsible to be compliant about the, the curriculum that has to be taught, but create opportunity to lean into their expertise, to lean into their inherent humanity and, and allow them to, to play in a space of, of piloting and trial and error just as we'd want them to be modeling that on a profound way for the young people in their care to do a very similar thing. This has come easy to you, right? Because, because I can feel it. I can feel it. You mentioned before it's in your bones, like it's part of your DNA. You know, yeah. Yvette Larson's DNA is someone who is open to the possibility of herself, of the place that you serve, and of course, the people that you encounter, not only locally, but, but globally. This, this be- you've got this beautiful humanity where I feel that, the primacy of the heart is how you operate, you know? Yes. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a beautiful gift that you're sharing with all of us today and a beautiful example, and I want to thank you for that. One of the things that we've learned about you also in our research, of course, is that you're a polygot. And uh, my understanding is that term means or describes someone who speaks more than three languages. Now, I hope we've got that right in terms of our research. Um, so my, my question to you is this. How many languages do you speak? Which, what are they? But the real question is, how has the development of your language skills actually helped you to develop this open heart and global perspective where you're open to the possibility of everyone? Okay, wow. So uh, let's, let's start see. with the languages. Have, let's start with the I languages. I will start with the easy one and then I go. I yeah. will go deeper. So I start with the surfaces, how many languages, and that it depends. I mean, I I speak and understand the Scandinavian ones, Swedish, uh, Swedish, Danish, and Norwegian, and um, wow. and then of course English, and then French, of course. And my uh, kids, they are half Dutch. So if I was on a desert island with only Dutch people, I think I could manage a conversation. Yeah. And the same goes with Spanish. I studied it, but mm. as I lived in France, it was pushed back. But I think if I was uh, hiking with only Spanish people and who only spoke Spanish, I could. I think I would be able to hold the conversation with that as well. I, I, ne- I needed you. I needed you when I did the Camino de Santiago uh, uh, um, many, many years ago uh, when I had, of course, amazing Spaniards walking past or, or walking alongside me, born Comino, born Comino the entire time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I needed a translator, particularly <laughs> particularly for many of the beautiful Spanish women, but that's a whole other conversation. All right, <laughs> the second part of my question, over to you. Yes, so um, I think that uh, learning languages, for example, when I was um, in, in my upper secondary school, I chose the humanities. So mm-hmm. it's like from the beginning, and uh, I remember how uh, relieved I was. I could study languages, art history, history, um, all those kinds of humanistic um, um, areas. And that has followed me. And uh, then I had um, 
parents and grandparents who were, I call them explorers, my grandma. Imagine now a grandma up in the north of Sweden, like uh, she would have been over 90 now. She was like, she just wanted to go and travel the world. And I remember the moment when she came home and uh, brought a bag of seashells that she picked for me in a faraway beach, at a faraway beach. And I thought, wow, I want to go and pick those seashells myself. So I think when, when you learn languages, you also learn different ways of being. Like I have a French persona that is maybe more like, I don't know, uh, more expressive than my Swedish persona. Now I'm speaking English. It's not my native language, but it's sort of like, um, like I, I would say the language that I'm, um, yeah, uh, after Swedish is the one that I manage the most. But uh, I think you add a pers- persona when you speak that language and you also get it under the, uh, under the skin of a culture as well. For example, my son, he's soon 18 and he manages five languages now. And he says the same thing. He says that when I speak French, I'm more with my hands. When I'm speaking Swedish, I'm more calm. So, so you also, I mean, you, you, you're you just opening the possibilities of reaching out and connecting with people when, when you speak the language. And only this small little phrase is like, like saying hello in another language. You just open, uh, you just open the, uh, the door to possibility. And uh, that is so, sort of what I want to create with my life. I want to create as uh, uh, as many possibilities as uh, as I can with the people that I meet. And also it's been very beneficial when I've been working in international schools, like you can just uh, carry on a little conversation with students from different countries. So I think uh, you uh, see, if you look at Chomsky and you look at semantics, like looking at uh, the chair, what does it mean for an Italian, a Swede, a Japanese, like, so you look at concepts as well from from different per, uh, perspective when you learn languages as well. So it has really, really deepening the the the, the relationships that I have with people by by knowing different languages. So clearly, uh, a global perspective is enhanced by yes. language, and that therefore that helps you embrace the notion of global citizenship. That's one of the five skills that the WF. WEF, World Economic yes. Forum, has recently um, identified as five skills they believe are fundamental for our children to navigate their near future. There, there are four others there too. There's creativity, there's digital skills, there's collaboration, and, and there's environmental stewardship. Um, yes. What, are the, what else can we be doing in schools to promote this type of skill set? Oh, wow. Now we're getting into an area that is uh, an absolute passion of mine. And I just read that. I just saw that article the other day as well. So uh, and I also want to start with um, uh, I've been teaching in the Swedish national curriculum and the IB. The IB is very focused on skills based learning, concept based learning, transdisciplinary learning, action and agency, while the Swedish national system is not at all focused on skills. And the realization, the aha moment that I had, realizing what does it do to a child who goes through school or learning about skills? It's just unbelievable. I think that skills is one of the most important things that that we really need to implement in schools like more. So if I look at the the ones they had suggested, I'm also looking at the AHA skills playbook that we have created. And the AHA skills based uh, playbook is also based on hours on end reading uh, uh, reports from academia, from other uh, actors. uh, And and we have sort of narrowed down um, the skills that we need to not only to survive, but to thrive in the times we live in. And, and we have also uh, narrowed down the same one as them, but we have also added um, cognitive skills, like uh, about the growth mindset, about how to keep going, keep being resilient, keep being persist- persistent. We also added social emotional as um as a, a main skill, like uh, how do I talk to myself? How, who, who am I together with others? And we also said like physical, like um, 
how do I take care of myself? Like uh, my sleep, what am I eating? How, how do I take care of myself? Because it's like the, the poster when you go in on an airplane and you see the oxygen mask. How do I take care of myself in order to be good to take care of other people? And then we also said something about spiritual, because you don't have to be religious to be spiritual. There is something in spiritual that is about hope, because we need to have that little door of hope uh, when we are living in the times uh, that we are now with challenges, with polarization, with climate change, with inflation. We, we need to be sort of a beacon of life, like there is hope. What is that door of hope about? And, and so we are creating the future that we we want to have. It's not written there. It's it's us who creates that. And that is a but, lot but of... We love all of this and all of this conversation, but there are so many of our colleagues out there, Yvette, who don't believe that they have it in themselves to do this work. They believe uh-huh. that the system is against them. They believe it's all too hard. There's too much going on. If we only we could slow it all down and take it piece by piece. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe we should just go back to the way things were. You, you, you know the narrative, don't you? Um, I so know the narrative, yes. So, mm-hmm. so how do we encourage our colleagues to feel mm-hmm. as though that they are the brokers of hope for other people? I think that um, uh, I so acknowledge the challenge. I uh, as I said before, I can feel it in my bone uh, because I am a teacher. I, I, I go to school every day and I hear the conversations and uh, in the midst of busyness of, of, uh, of delivering a curriculum, delivering education, this is a very big one. And I think that as we spoke earlier, I think that most change, uh, uh, well, um, some change, I would say, uh, would start with the first step, like thinking about if a teacher listening and thinking, what can I do? I think start uh, start small, start with the first step. We created a well-being program that is um, um, in all school now, like 450 students are using it but, it, but it started with the first step. It started with my class. So I think the first step can be the courageous step. Uh, back in the days, I was always talking about my, my, my plans. Now I don't talk about it. I just do them. And whoever wants to join can join. And so I, I found that more efficient. And I think that teachers who have that something inside them, just try, just think about that picture of earth. Who are we? We are, we are circulating earth and we are like living on this little planet, like just do it. Uh, I, I think there is a lot of courage needed in the times we live in and just give themselves permission to be courageous and, and take that first step. And of course, it's good to team up with others. Um, like uh, the, the teacher besties <laughs> cannot be underestimated. Having somebody um, uh, to talk to and uh, having another like a person um, in your team to, to, to support each other is also super important. So, and then bit by bit, I think that when you're passionate enough, that, that will happen. But to be a little bit extra courageous, and team up with somebody. That would be my, my, my best. If you feel that school leadership is not there, but of course, if school leadership is there, then that's something else. Um, but skills, skills, they, they really make a difference. That, that's how, um, if you have um, students who communicate and say, what, what do we need? We need to collaborate. Oh, what do we need more? We need to be excellent communicators. Then, then the chances are good that... Uh, they will also tackle challenges in a design thinking way. Yvette, uh, I'm conscious of time and um, it's getting to the time in the evening here in, in, in Melbourne on, on a Saturday evening where we're recording it, where Phil will have to leave soon because he's, I'm sure there's some yes. hipster in Fitzroy that he's got to have some, some you know, home-brewed gin made in the distillery <laughs> out the back there somewhere um, that he has to get to. So we're going to wrap this up, but I've got a question before we, Possi- before we finish. Possibly, actually, possibly a craft rum. There you go, craft rum. Okay. Um, Enjoy. I've really, really enjoyed this encounter with you today and listening to your story, the way in which you describe what's possible and your mission to make a difference. There's a restlessness about Yvette Larson that's coming through really strongly as well. What do you do as an educational leader to centre yourself and sometimes just simply be still from this restlessness that's going on about what it should be 
where we just need sometimes to have some pauses and moments of retreat. Yeah, that's a, that's a super good one. And I think I'm, I'm in a pause at the moment, uh, in this very moment. So I usually say that I'm an extrovert introvert. <laughs> I'm extrovert because I love being with people. I love collaborating with others. And I'm very passionate as a nature. But I also need my time to sort of reflect over things. I need time to uh, read, write, listen to music. But I, but I, what I do, which is the, the best thing for me, is to... I live five minutes from the seaside. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I do is I go running, I go walking by the seaside. I always, I always go the same route. Ah. Um, yeah and actually that is also the time uh, when I started to listen to your podcast I was walking along the seaside it was COVID I had your I found your podcast and I started to listen to it and I think I listened like a whole season in one go (laughs) so going to the seaside nature has always been the one that would um, hold me that would listen to me that would be unconditionally loving me um, that is the place where I find my pause and um, just just to relax, just to be still, no bruise or being able to finish a sentence and not without interruption. So, so nature yeah. is nature is my healer. Yeah, there's something really beautiful about what you've just shared there with us and our listeners around nature is a great reminder to us of our smallness mm-hmm. and that we shouldn't take ourselves so seriously sometimes, and that. You know, as, as, an, as an art and design teacher, when I have the opportunities to, to step into nature, there are moments that just take your breath away because the wonder and awe is surrounding us. And the beauty is that because we encounter four seasons, we can go to the same place four, to- four different times throughout the year and it will be a different encounter each time because, mm-hmm. because Mother Nature is such a force. It is no wonder that organisations like the World Economic Forum has environmental stewardship as as a fundamental skill uh, that young people will need to acquire. And I know we joked at the top of the show around the notion of green skills, but Uh that's definitely an emerging phrase. And a phrase that goes, it goes beyond just our stewardship, it goes towards our well-being, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So Yvette Larson, thank you very much for sharing so much about yourself, your journey, Continue to make a difference in your space of the world. We'd love to have you here, of course, in Australia, but even more importantly, I think we'd love to come to Sweden. And <laughs> so my final question is this about Sweden. Is Sweden easy to navigate or is it like an Ikea store that when you go in there just to buy one little stool, you get sucked in for the next six hours because you can't find your way out? Don't feel, you don't feel the need to answer that question. Don't, don't, You know where Phil ends up at an Ikea? He just ends up at the, at the can- canteen buying meatballs. That's all. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. I, I, I end up with the scented candles. That is my space. Okay. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you thank so you much. So for much. Us yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. And I really, really appreciate this conversation and all the other conversations that you have had with so many inspiring people. So keep going and keep uh, inspiring the world of innovators and educators and everyone else. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.